What a great way to start out 2017 by worshiping the Lord together and getting into His Word. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 12. When I say it's good to see you this morning, I really do mean that because I haven't been able to see you for about two years now since I lost my glasses, but now I got some new ones, and so now I can finally see you. Up to this point, you've all kind of been a blur, but... uh I'm just going to put those down now. No, I'm just kidding. It is good to see you. I tell you what, my eyes are getting bad. My beard is turning gray. In two and a half weeks, I'm getting my knees replaced. Uh, my hair starts falling out. I'll really be in trouble. Wait. Like I'm too old for Kayla and Nathan's class. As I was sitting there thinking when they were think- saying all that. And I was like, man. In the words of that great theologian, Garth Brooks, I'm much too young to feel this old. Matthew chapter 12. That's something to look at good this morning as we uh, begin a new year together. Uh, We're going to start in verse 38, so let's all stand together as we receive the word of the Lord. It says, And then some scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you for um, the start of a new year. And Lord, I know that there is much that you have in store for us. Uh, God, I thank you that as your people, those who belong to you, we can Uh, look out on this new year, not just hoping that we'll be blessed, but knowing that it is blessed simply because that we belong to you, that that we wear your name. And uh, God, I pray that we would see uh, the greater thing that stands before us. And Lord, this year we wouldn't miss it uh, the way these people did here in this text. So Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to make yourself known to us this morning. In your name I pray, amen. Well, here we are at the start of a new year, and of course, it's that time of year where you hear a lot about New Year's resolutions, where people all over are making big commitments to do something different this year than they did last year. For some, it'll be the resolution to quit a bad habit. For others, it'll be uh, to lose weight or to start exercising or to just be somehow a better version of themselves this year than they were in 2016. But of course, the reality is that very few of these resolutions ever stick. Uh, Most of them don't last more than just a couple weeks. Beginning of a new year is also the time where not just people, but organizations and businesses and even churches take time to look back on the previous year and then make big declarations of doing things bigger and better in the new one. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's good to want to make changes for the better. It's good to have a vision and to set goals. But biblical Christianity does not rest its hope on big, dramatic moments of change. It just doesn't. You know, I hear people say often things like, we just need a big move of God. And there are times throughout history where God has moved in big ways. Big ways. The uh, church history is marked with big revivals that swept across the land and brought thousands of people all at once to the kingdom of God. And this church here, Evangelistic Temple, began with one of those big uh, God movements. It, it, in 2017, E.T. will have been in existence for 85 years And it all started, as many of you know, in a tent revival. And what was just supposed to last a few days ended up lasting several weeks as the power and presence of God showed up in a huge way and people were getting healed and people were getting saved. And it was a a big event that hit Palestine in 1932. And so, yes, I believe that there are times where God makes himself known in these big dramatic ways. And I'm thankful for the big moment encounters with God that I've had in my life. But the reality is our lives are not lived from one big moment to the next. We live in the small, uneventful moments of everyday life. And the the vast majority of our lives are lived between those big moments in the mundane, in the routine of life in a broken world. And the truth of the matter is, if God doesn't exist and work and move in the small and mundane of life, then there's no hope for us. Because that's where you and I live every day. The good news is that he is working and moving in all those little situations. But if all we do is long for and wait for those big dramatic moments, then we're going to miss him. Right where we are every day. Big drama Christianity can get us into trouble by causing us to devalue the significance of life's little moments and the grace of God that meets us there. That's exactly what was going on with people during Jesus' time on earth. And it's what was going on in this text that we just read Look at verse 38 again. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. The scribes and Pharisees didn't see Jesus as anything more than just a simple teacher. They didn't see him as the promised Messiah that they were waiting on. Why? Because he didn't come in the way that they expected him to. He didn't look the way that they thought the Messiah was going to look. He didn't do the things that they assumed that the Messiah was going to do. To them, this couldn't have been the Messiah that came to save them because this was just a simple man, a regular guy, a carpenter by trade. He was ordinary. He was mundane. But in the form of that ordinary mundane man was God himself right there in the process of completely changing the entire course of human history. And he was standing there doing this right in front of them, but they missed him. 
Because they were looking for something big and something dramatic and impressive and spectacular. Not a simple carpenter turned teacher. So they said, we want a sign from you. In other words, we want to see something other than the mundane and the ordinary that we see standing here in front of us. We want the big, the spectacular, the dramatic and impressive proof that you are who you claim to be. And I find Jesus' response very interesting. He says, an evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign. What did he mean by that? And why did he use the general term evil, but then the specific term adulterous? Because he was saying, generally, you're evil, but specifically, you're adulterous. Here's what I believe was going on. Sometimes people will look for and long for these big dramatic moves of God, these big things to happen. And sometimes I believe it is, they're looking to it as sort of a diversion or an escape from what's going on in their own life. Some are just so miserable with their own sin and their own mundane life that they just want to escape the reality of it by having some big, dramatic, supernatural experience. I find it pretty ironic that so many people say that they want to see a revival come and and change this whole city, but they aren't willing to do the small things that it takes to change their own homes. This is what I believe that Jesus was alluding to with the Pharisees. He's essentially saying, you want some big miraculous sign from God, but you're not even willing to allow him to be involved in the everyday affairs of your life. You're living an adulterous life, but, but yet you're longing for some big sign from God. And because they were looking for a sign, they were missing God in the flesh right there in front of them. From the moment you are saved until the time that you leave this earth, God is in the process of forming you more and more into the image of Christ. You are from salvation until death in the process of life change. But the primary way that God has decided to make that change happen is not from one dramatic moment To another, he changes us little by little in the small and the mundane and the routines that we encounter in daily living. And if all you do is look for and long for the big and dramatic moments, you'll miss him right there where you are in everyday small moments, just like the scribes and Pharisees did here. Now, don't get me wrong. I pray that God would would send a revival. I pray for revival to come to this city and and to this church, a revival in my own home, in my own life. I don't want you to think that I'm against revivals or big moves of God. I am not at all. One time I was actually praying for this, praying, God, I just want to see a big revival come. Lord, would you just move? And I sensed him speaking into my spirit, and it was one of those cool times with God where it just seemed like there was this back-and-forth dialogue going on between us. And I sensed him say, well, 
what would that look like in your mind? What would a revival look like? How would you be able to tell it? And I thought, well, I mean, it would look like they have in the past with hundreds of people coming coming to salvation and, and people just suddenly being healed of all kinds of sicknesses and diseases and the churches are full and there's so much life change going on that liquor stores are going under and, and the jail houses are empty. Because I think that's generally how we think revivals are supposed to look because that's what we've heard of the ones that have happened in the past and that's pretty much all that we've got to go by. Something that looks more like what happened in, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. But then I heard the Lord say, well, what if I do send a revival, but it doesn't look anything like you expect it to? And I thought, hmm, never thought of that. But then I thought, well, Lord, if it doesn't look like what we expect, if it doesn't look like the way it's happened in the past, well, some people might, might miss it and not recognize it for what it is. I just sense the Holy Spirit saying, well, that's right. And it will only be because they were looking for revival, but not looking for me. They were looking for a big event, but not looking for the person that I am. And then he brought to my mind the way that we do this with several things. We look for change in one form or another, but we don't look for Jesus. We look for pews that are full of people every week, but we don't look specifically for Jesus. We look for emotional and supernatural encounters, but we don't look for Jesus. We want the, we want the results. We're looking for the results, but we're not specifically looking for the source and the cause of those results. You know, it's just like when God told Elijah in 1 Kings 19 to go to a place up on the mountain that God was going to meet him there. He was going to pass by him, and it says that a strong wind came, so strong that it was rending mountains and breaking rocks into pieces. I mean, you can imagine just how dramatic that scene must have been, but it says that God wasn't in the wind and then it says, after that, an earthquake came, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, a raging fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, it says, there was a sound of a gentle blowing, and Elijah knew that that was the Lord. It doesn't even say it was the, the sight of a gentle blowing. It says the sound of one. A gentle blowing is not something that's easy to hear. And so in that story, God wasn't in any of the big, dramatic moments and events that we might assume that God would show himself in, but he came in something that would be very easy for us to completely miss. This is a time of year where you hear people say things like, I'm looking forward to and expecting big things from God in 2017. But what if God's big thing is actually made up of a bunch of smaller things. Would that be okay? What if instead of hundreds of people suddenly being healed from sickness and disease that a few men finally decide to start praying with their family in their homes? Would that not be a big deal? 
What if instead of people just filling all the churches in town because so many are coming to salvation that there are some teenagers that finally realize that Jesus really is worth more than all the things of this world that they've been chasing after? What if instead of the presence of God falling so hard in a church service that the people can hardly stand, that his presence falls on some individuals sitting alone at a computer to the point where they decide not to click on that link that has held them in bondage for so long and they are set free from that forever? Man, what if instead of the big thing that we always talk about, It's these little things that God begins to work in all over this area. How about instead of waiting for some big moment to happen, for you to have an encounter with God, you look for him and find him in the small and mundane events of everyday living. Because I promise you that's where he is. And that's where he's working. Like accessing his grace when it just seems like your patience with your children has completely run its course. Or approaching your job like the ministry that you have been called to there rather than just something that pays the bills. Or having some screen-free time in the home and replacing it with some actual FaceTime or Bible time or prayer time or just having a conversation with one another for a change. It's those little moments of life where I believe God is working most and we'll miss him every time if we're not looking for him there and giving him those little moments of our everyday life. And it's those little moments that added together over time he uses to form us more and more into the image of his son. Real, authentic life change is a process, not a big event. It's a process, not an event. And it's a process that involves thousands of little mundane events that we encounter every day. God wants you to have an encounter with him just as much as you do. And you can have one every day. He wants you to encounter him in those moments where you don't feel like being loving to your spouse. He wants you to encounter him in the drudgery of your job that you have to go to every day. Young people, he wants you to encounter him at school when you feel the pressure from your friends to be someone that you're not or pressure to compromise your integrity just to fit in. It's in those small everyday moments where Jesus is standing there going, I'm here. Please don't miss me. I'm right here. And we find him there when we say, Lord, I need you right now. I can't love my spouse the way that she needs me to love her. And so I'm asking you to come and love her through me. Lord, I'm feeling the temptation to find satisfaction in something other than you. So I'm asking you now to come and satisfy me with your presence and grace. I promise you, when you call on him like that in those moments, he's going to answer. 
And you'll know the truth of what it means when he said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Jesus did some big things, and he was involved in big events during his three years of ministry on the earth. But it was the small things that he really was about more than anything else. He had no problem drawing a large crowd wherever he went. But his response to the crowd was quite a bit different to the way that we tend to respond when lots of people show up for something. If we do something that draws a large crowd, we automatically want to label that a big move of God. It's got to be, right? And then we'll do everything we can to advertise the crowd, make sure everybody knows we drew a big crowd, and then everything we can to maintain the big crowd. Funny how Jesus never did any of that. In fact, he withdrew from the large crowd more often than not. He usually did everything he could to avoid the big crowd, whereas we're always trying to build them. The big crowd is what we usually equate with the big thing and the big event. Jesus was more about small relationships than he was big crowds. And it was in the small things that Jesus did most of his best work. It was a casual conversation with a woman at a water well. It was in a covert meeting with the Pharisee Nicodemus. It was in the healing that he gave to people when there wasn't a crowd watching. And he would tell them not to go and tell anyone else about it. And it was all the time that he spent with those 12 disciples. All the time he spent with those men who weren't famous, they weren't pillars of the community, and they definitely weren't wealthy donors to his ministry. There were 12 ordinary men with mundane jobs. But it was their daily small encounters with Jesus that enabled them to eventually change the whole world. You know what that should tell us? It should tell us that if we want some big supernatural encounter with God, we might want to start looking for them in relationships rather than in big events. Many of you have either heard of or probably gone through yourself that great Bible study called Experiencing God. And what makes it great is its simple yet very profound theme, which simply says the way to experience God is to find out what he's doing and then join him there. And that's so true. And where I believe that you'll find him working the most is in relationships. It's in the tough relationships between a husband and wife and parents and children, a boss, an employee, relationships among friends. And if you want to have an encounter with God, then you look for him in those places. If there's one thing that Jesus demonstrated for us more than anything else, is that he was about relationships more than he was anything else. Most of us still have this big mentality, this big thing mentality when it comes to how we do church. 
and we view the Sunday morning corporate worship time as the main event where we're looking to have big encounters and draw big crowds. And I hope that we do have big encounters with God every time we get together. And I hope as many people as will will come here to hear the good news of the gospel. I'm not saying that those things shouldn't happen, but I also believe that if that's all we limit our definition of church to, then we're going to miss out on a whole lot of things that God wants us to experience with him. God never designed church to be about an event. He designed church to be about relationships. But we always want to treat it like an event, like we're coming to a concert or something. And the kind of relationships that he designed us for don't happen and don't develop in a corporate worship setting like this. They happen in smaller groups and in smaller situations. If you've been attending this church for any length of time and your involvement up to this point has only been limited to the Sunday morning corporate worship time, then I want to encourage you to look for God here in other places in 2017. I want you to look for him in smaller places rather than the big Sunday morning worship time. Start off with getting involved in Sunday school or Wednesday night classes. You'll get to know people there and, and develop relationships, start to on a, in ways that you can't do it here in a, in a setting like this. And if you want to go deeper than that, then get involved in life groups because that's where you can get into the nitty-gritty of relationships with other believers. It's in those relationships, those smaller groups, that we find strength and the support to find God's grace in the mundane issues of daily life that we face. We get to share our experiences and and frustrations with others and find out that there actually are other people who are in the same boat as we are because when you're isolated off to yourself, you just start assuming that you're the only one that deals with the kinds of things that you deal with in life when it's never the case. And it's in those kinds of relationships that you're going to start seeing the greatest amount of spiritual growth. So I say this all the time, that if you look to the Sunday morning corporate worship time as the main source of your spiritual growth, then you're only going to be able to grow so far, and then you're going to stop. And the reason for that is because God didn't design corporate worship to be the best environment for our spiritual growth. He designed the best environment for spiritual growth to be in relationships with other believers titled this sermon, Small Things Ahead, because as we stand here today looking out on a brand new year, the tendency is for us to want to look for the big things ahead, and I believe that God does have some big things in store for us, but if we don't look for God in the small things, we're going to completely miss him, standing right there in front of us. Jesus' main point in the parable of the talents was he who is faithful with the little things, I'll entrust him with the bigger ones. This whole thing really hit home for me when I was still a youth pastor. When at one point I began asking students, especially those who were seniors and about to graduate, 
be I the youth ministry, I would ask them, what is something that you'll always remember about your time in the youth group? And not one student ever said anything about something I had said in one of the lessons I taught on Wednesday night. If it was something that I said that they would remember, it was something I said just in a casual hangout time, either 30 minutes before or after the main service, or or going on a road trip, something that I said in the van as we were just traveling along, these, these little things. Some would say it was the relationships that they made there. And for others, it was the, always the little things that happened in between the big plan events and things. And that was a huge revelation to me because Wednesday nights was, that was the main event of the youth ministry. And I would spend hours and hours putting together the best possible Wednesday night experience that students could have. And 200 kids would come every week and, and they would hear loud music blaring and lights flashing and there'd be excellent live worship and, and, and I'd, I'd preach a message that I'd spend hours preparing that I just knew was going to be the message that they would remember for the rest of their lives. But no, none of that is what impacted them the most or was going to be the thing that they would remember about their time in the youth group. The biggest impact on them were the little things that weren't even planned. Why do you think that is? It's because it's in the little things that God usually does his best work. It's in the unexpected places that God seems to show up the most. And so as we stand here today looking out on a new year, Like I said, I do expect big things from God for us this year, but I don't believe they're going to look anything like we might expect them to look like. I believe the big things of God will be found the most in the small things of life and the relationships with one another. Find out where God is working this year. Find out where he's working in this church and then go join him there. Because I'm telling you, he is working in the everyday and the mundane and the small things in life. So look for him. Don't miss him. Let's pray. God, we confess this morning that Well, we have tried to fit you to our own expectations. We have tried to attach you to our own plans. And God, try to squeeze you into our little boxes that we have made. Lord, that shouldn't surprise us. Us being so prone to arrogance and self-centeredness. And God, I sometimes think it's, we want those big things so much because we think the big things say big things about us. Lord, this year I want us to find you wherever you are. Lord, I want us to find you in the small things in life. 
Lord, I pray that people in this church will begin having encounters with you in those times alone in their house when no one else is looking. God, I pray that couples who are having struggles in their marriage will will find you in that. God, students who are just going through the routine of another school week would have encounters with you in, in places there that they would just have never expected. Lord, I pray that our spiritual eyes and our ears will be sharp and we'll be able to recognize where you are moving, especially in the places where we never would have thought that would be you. Lord, I pray that as a church body, God, we would be the ones who are, who are faithful with the little things in our lives. God, knowing that that's the only way you're going to entrust us with bigger things, like you said in that parable. And so, God, I pray that today, Lord, that you would just bring a truth, God, to someone for the reality of it so strong this morning, God, that maybe it's repentance that we need to start the new year over in. God, maybe it's just in humility coming before you and, and just letting you know how much, confessing how much we need you. God, help us to make this year all about you and less about us. God, we want 2017 to be the year where people just don't say how great E.T. is, but how great Jesus is. Lord, you are worth it all. I pray that we would learn that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.